Hey everyone, um, welcome everyone listening and thanks for joining us. I'm Maria Prieto and I'm really, really thrilled to be sitting down with these two cinematographers today. Um, before I introduce them though, I wanna hold the moment of silence that we do before each conversation. Um, you know, we started holding these on our first round table and we just address all the lives that have been perished, that have perished because of COVID. And it's really shocking every time I go back to moderate and I just see the numbers just go up within, I mean, we all know it's just the deaths are just rising too quickly, but um, let me go back to my script. <laughs> We're gonna hold a moment of silence to honor all 1,546,009 reported worldwide COVID deaths as of today. And that's 280,135 here in the US alone. Um, we'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters, whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. Thanks guys. Um, like I said, we've been holding these from our first round table and you know, now we're kind of in another lockdown, but I know people are still working and, you know, you have to do it with utmost safety in mind and just an awareness and an empathy for everyone around you. Um, so yeah, now I'm, I want to introduce these two wonderful people we have joining us, these two cinematographers. We have Julia Swain and Oren Soffer, both joining us from LA. So I will be the applause, the audience applause. <laughs> Um, seriously, welcome to Film Roundtable and thank you both for taking the time to, you know, to share some of your experiences with us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm gonna end up leaving you guys to talk for a while, but before I you know, leave for a bit, I would love to hear a little bit about how you ended up here. Um, you know, that first time you picked up a camera, what you felt and how it kind of led you down this path. So Oren, could you start? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know when the exact Rubicon was was crossed. I, I was into films since I was like five years old uh, and grew up watching a ton of movies. Eventually had the light bulb moment of like, people make these and you can actually be on a set and be behind a camera and behind the lights and all these all these other things that go into the process. I think it was uh it was behind the scenes for um the star wars special edition if i remember correctly they released like a cd rom that you could watch in your computer and it had a ton of behind the scenes and it was like oh my god all the cameras and uh all the behind the scenes stuff really captured me the lord of the rings dvds i think also played a big part but basically started sort of making movies in high school uh with friends on mini DV and we had a little film class in high school as well. Uh, sort of this off the beat path extracurricular. Uh, and yeah, that was it. The, the, I was already DPing at that time without realizing it sort of uh, starting to, to be behind the camera and think about placement and read a bunch of books that are still great. Five C's of cinematography and the blue directing book with the hands. I don't know what it's called, but I think everybody shot knows. By shot. That yeah, shot, shot by shot. That's right. No, no, that's that, that's definitely it. And um, 
uh, yeah, so so it, that sort of just gradually ramped up. I, I went to NYU, started DPing more seriously, I suppose, student films and uh, little music videos. Most of that work is crap now, I think. But uh, yeah, I graduated and just started DPing professionally slowly since then and still feel like I'm climbing, slowly climbing up the ladder since then. But that's pretty much, that's pretty did much you, the story. Did you find any mentorship at NYU? Like once you graduated, how did you kind of like, you know, find the door opening? Um, yeah, I I uh, interned on a few shoots with, with Reed Murano during uh, school, which was really great. It was during the summers in between um, semesters, but I did a few, a few features with her. Um, she had this really great sort of unofficial internship program, I suppose, where she was bringing on film students to, um, work in the camera department. I learned so much from that. It was my first time experiencing like a professional film set in any capacity that was not a student shoot. So that was really important, um, for me at the time. And, since graduating, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I've always been a little self-conscious. I, I don't think I've ever had like an official mentorship with anybody, though that would be nice. But it's sort of just been a hodgepodge of, of really great people along the way who've been um, responsive and that I've been able to kind of forge relationships with naturally and organically. But I don't, nobody at any point was like, come here, you're gonna be my person and I'm gonna show you the ropes and help you climb the ladder and get jobs and all that. that so I, I think a, there's always been a, a support network and, uh, but it's mostly been finding finding my own path, I suppose. But I mean, the best thing that's that emerged in that realm in general is was just relationships with other DPs. Uh, like my friendship with Julia, which has been amazing. And I think that's like the best thing um, that, that has sort of come about in the last few years in terms of sort of like self mentorship of each other. Like it's just a support system that's been really great. Yeah, no, I love that. And I like how you pointed out that Reed, you know, had this unofficial mentorship program, especially for those listening, um, Julia directed this uh, short documentary called Lady Cameraman, which is, you know, focuses on all the cinematographers that are female um, in this industry. So to hear about this, you know, woman, this fantastic cinematographer woman who wants to keep opening that door, not just for other women, but for young DPs with talent, because at the end of the day, like it's talent, you know? Um, so going off that, Julia, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, your start and a little bit of your history? Yeah. Um... I was addicted, I, again, like Oren, don't really know a specific moment in time where I had that realization. There was always a camera around for like childhood home videos and things that my dad was holding. And I became sort of addicted to using it. And I think I'm in movies in high school too. I have never worked in any other industry. Like I worked in a movie theater when I was 15. I worked in news because that was the only job in my small town where you could actually get paid to use a camera. Um, and like became really good at operating there. And, um, you know, I made movies in high school. And I think too, like, I do remember getting my hands on like editing software and realizing that how you could piece stories together and stuff and that sort of magic. And obviously like all the BTS featurettes and things like that, uh, just wanting to be part of that magic and that 
sort of process. Um, and then I went to UCLA for cinematography specifically, and I am just, I can't do anything else. It's all I, all I love to do. Um, so yeah, it's never been, I've never sort of ventured it. I think there was a moment where I like tried to do medicine because I was like, I'm not going to like make money doing this. And then I like failed the class and went right back to filmmaking um, <laughs> <laughs> for like a quarter or something. But, uh, oh <laughs> but yeah, it's never been, it's always been the thing that I wanted. And I somehow knew that when I was younger. And did you feel supported, um, you know, by family and by everyone around you to, you know, go down that path or? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really, that's a really important point too, is like, I was never told that I couldn't do it. Um, I was, I was told I could be anything I wanted because I was, I was hardworking and I cared and I wanted to love what I did. Um, and I think that mentality, having that told to you from an early age is really important and sort of empowers you to really pursue what you want and not make you feel like you have to do something specific mm -hmm. that might not be your sort of natural instinct. My, my parents were sort of what I call hands-off supportive. They, uh, at the time, they were sort of like, yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can go, they were skeptical that this was a viable career, but sure. they, weren't, they weren't getting in the way. But I mean, I remember in high school, like my friend who I, I sort of had a best friend at the time who is actually still a DP. Uh, he wasn't at the, he, he was more directing at the time, but we would make all of our films together, the two of us. Oh, cool. And his mom would all, would drive us all over the place. Like when we your were- production. Essentially, <laughs> in hindsight now I realize, I mean, she was, she was transpo crafty yeah. <laughs> at all. But uh, at, at a certain point she got annoyed because she was like, Oren, why don't your parents ever like drive you around for the film shoots and stuff like that? Oh, no. and I'm like, I can't make them do that. <laughs> yeah, they they are they were uninterested in um, in being that supportive, I suppose. But I mean, it's that was fine. I, it, it's just funny thinking about it now. In hindsight, it's not like it it was a big deal. Uh, it's yeah. just a different approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, mine were the same way, and they were very much like you need to sort of find this path, and you need to do the research as to like how this is going to work long term. I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah. interesting to think about. I don't know. Yeah. It, it it feels like so much time has passed, and I don't. Do you feel? Do you feel like? Do you do you feel like you're you're set? Like, do you feel like th this is it? Like, I'm a DP now. There's, I'm done. Like, I'm I'm on the road, or like, I don't know. How, do you, do you? Um, I don't know. How do you feel, feel about that? Set, <laughs> but I. <laughs> No, yes, absolutely. I'm making, I'm, I'm full-time DP now and there's no going back. And I, and I feel yeah. like, yes, I feel like I've done the work to get myself in that position, I guess, where it's like, I can do this consistently and I don't feel the need to like try and supplement or, you know, do something else that isn't as fulfilling. So. Right. Did you, it's self-sustaining. Yes. Did you feel like when you got in film school, there was like a, yes, I'm doing something right. And now I get to go like, study this specifically was like did film school in New York feel like a milestone to like your younger self in a way yeah I, I mean it, it did but this is this is what's funny is in hindsight it feels so naive uh, like along the way right that's the thing along the way each one of these things felt like a milestone but 
I guess what I was getting at with the other question was like, I some I feel sometimes like, I'm like, am I on the right path? I mean, DPing is not in terms of like, am I on the right path for DPing, but it's like, am I where I want to be with my career goals? Oh, right and am I doing the stuff? Yeah. Like where I am right now, it, it, it's sort of just like, as, as I'm on the journey towards mm -hmm. doing like uh, shooting the stuff that I want to shoot and, and, working on the projects that I want to work on. It's, it, I fluctuate between feeling really confident about what I've done so far and, and how far I've come in the, in the past few years and, and so on. And then on the flip side is like looking ahead at where I want to be and it feeling so far away. And I don't know, that dichotomy always pushes and pulls sometimes. But then when I take a step out of it, uh, it, it, it does feel, I do feel good about it. And, and it, I can identify the, the milestones along the way. Right. And film school what, at the time was huge because I didn't grow up in, well, I grew up in the States when I was, when I was a smaller kid, but in middle school and high school, I was in Israel. So the, all of this felt very far away. Uh, it's like movies coming from across the ocean and, uh, watching the Oscars at 3 a.m. And th there's a whole other lifestyle of, right. of being into film when you kind of live far away from even just the U.S. But knowing that I wanted to be a part of it and then getting to film school, that was like a huge monumental yeah. thing at that time. I was like, I'm moving to New York City and I'm here and I'm surrounded by all these other people who also like movies. And it felt really, really monumental and then in hindsight now that I think back on it it's sort of like oh I was so naive and didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what I was doing when I graduated from film school and it took a couple of years of figuring out even just what how to build a career I, I mean no I guess a little shade to film schools but not intentional it's not their fault um I, I don't know about UCLA I'd be curious to hear actually but I but I did not leave NYU really super prepared for um, career building. No, no. Okay. <laughs> there was, there was a, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's so much you don't talk about in film school that you're then left to sort of fend for yourself and figure out. So yeah. I agree. And it's funny because when you graduate or you, you know, you get to that point of like a new chapter, you're like, ha, my reel was so hilarious when I got here. And now I'm like the big shit. And then, and now, looking back at that, I'm like, I didn't know what I was talking about. Like I did not, you know, so I think it's like, and I, and I probably think it, it will always be that way, you know, like, I think so. yeah, no, I think you're right. I, I don't know the, the talking about the, the mentorship thing. I mean, again, that I, I always wished I had like an official mentor, but it's, uh, it's been okay. But I, but there have been a few people along the way who've been, and still now, obviously who are very supportive and, and always there for questions and, and just to bounce thoughts and ideas off of. And those people, I feel like all consistently say, and these are people who are more established, yeah. they all consistently say the same thing where it's like, ah, you're never really satisfied. Right. And, and those people, those people, I'm in your same boat of just like, there's a bunch of mentors that, you know, answer yeah. those questions. And those people are the ones that sort of fill those gaps of like, what do I do when I go into an interview? What do I, you know, like all these different things that you not, you don't really talk about in film school. Those 
you know, mentors sort of filled those gaps, I guess, for me. That's good. Like, how did, I don't how did you, out. yeah. How, how did you fi like find them? How did you sort of, how did it come about? Some of these relationships, I think it, do you think? I think it was, uh, I guess I would say it starts from like knowing what work I like or things that I'm drawn to, like films I'm drawn to, or, um, you know, we had a great program where we'd have, um, a very, very established DP like Dan Mindel or uh, Mandy Walker or somebody come in and stay <laughs> with us for the year and come throughout the year and teach us very hands-on things. And so you build relationships from that. Um, I think that is one great thing about the education was like being connected to that network. Um, but yeah, all kinds of ways, crossing paths and random ways and um, just getting to know the people that you, you know, sort of, Feel connected to in the work a little bit. How about you? Yeah, the, the well, the UCLA thing is so funny because we were always so jealous of that. I think USC does something similar, uh, where they have okay. a DP in residence or something. But we, I mean, we had some great cinematography professors. I don't want to kind of downplay that, but um, they were New York based and they sort of came from the New York TV world. Gotcha. So it was, it was a little different. Like um, Jeff yeah. Herb, who was he was the main guy, the big AFC guy at NYU he passed away unfortunately but um but he, I mean he shot law and order for a bunch of years and stuff like that so he's a legend in the New York TV world we, we always felt pretty separate from like the the LA ASC like movie world galaxy yeah the movie world so uh so it was cool to, to have people like read around I mean Reed came about because this was in 2012 I think or 11 so it was pretty it was sort of early days. I mean, she had done um, Frozen River and Shut Up and Play the Hits. I think it just come out, but I think she wasn't as well known in the industry at large, or at least the kind of film student level of the industry at large as she as she is now. But a few of us knew who she was, like, like a couple of people. And she came and spoke in one of her classes. She's an NYU alum. One of the professors brought her in. And then we just went up and talked to her afterwards. Uh, and I think that, that that that's sort of been the case in general. It's like, yeah, it's it's honestly just been reaching out to people um, organically. Like, it, 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 and I think the 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 thing has always been is just remembering that, like, every, we're all just we're all just folk, you know. Like, we're all just people. We're all just DPS. Uh, the, the whole pedestal deity demigod kind of thing is, has never been my thing in terms mm -hmm. of treating other people uh, like in that way. And I think it's, I think especially for DPs who are not used to a ton of attention that that gets even weirder uh, when, when people sort of treat them that way. Cause they're like, why, why am I on a, on a pedestal? Like I'm just behind the cam, I'm just the weird nerd yeah. behind the camera. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> why people are treating me this yeah. way um yeah. like anytime you go to the asc open house or something you oh, see yeah roger deacon's like lines of yeah uh, uh, but he's like uncomfortable in the corner yeah like, oh, i just wanna, i just want to be a wallflower and be left alone but anyway yeah. it's it's funny and, and yeah it's the film school thing is it's sort of one of the downsides i guess like i get why it happens but um i think there's always I always felt at NYU at least this pull between 
like you want to create a really supportive creative environment where everybody's ideas are are encouraged and the work is the focus is on the work and nothing's invalid and nothing's wrong and 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 so on and so forth which is a great creative environment for people to create a ton of work and 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 learn grow and make mistakes but it sort of shields you from reality a little bit where yeah. there are all these other factors to consider uh, in, in terms of the industry and the way it functions and stuff like that. And they sort of tried to introduce a little bit of that. We had a few professors who would go rogue, I guess, and bring in speakers like, oh, these are some working commercial directors yeah, or, or this great. is a, D, a DP who shoots commercials or, or the, there was this one class where they, yeah, you just bring in random people who are working in the industry, like an AD and a grip or whatever. And they yeah. would just talk a little bit about working, but it still feels so removed when you're still in the learning environment. It feels so separate. Yeah. Until you actually sure. get out there and do it. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you think you would have gotten to where you are now if you didn't go to film school? Hmm. Um, it's tough to say because I only know this narrative <laughs> that I've yeah. lived, but uh, I don't think so because again, it was it's about the people, you know, and I don't know. I think, you know, going back to what we sort of both said about like you know crossing paths organically and getting to know people, you know, so authentically, I wouldn't have probably had as many situations and just interactions with you know people that I wanted to learn from if I hadn't gone you know, I would have sort of had to like force my way in a bit more. So yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and, and again, you've got to make mistakes and we got to shoot all the time. That was what was great about it is like, you just shoot and that's what matters. It's not grades. It's not, that doesn't, that's not even a thing. Like it's just make movies. <laughs> Do you feel like your what you wanted at that time has shifted or are you still after the same type of work? Hmm. Like I know you and I, and you and I have talked a lot and we probably know a lot of these answers <laughs> to be honest, but I feel like you, <laughs> you and I both are very fortunate to do narrative work, I think. And like yeah. do a lot of, um, you know, really profound uh, storytelling. So I'm, I'm curious though, is, is like, is that what you loved and knew at the time? And now, and now where are you at? I still, yeah, I still think about this and question this a lot. Uh, I, overall, yeah, I mean, I, I, the thing that I always wanted to do and that always drew me to filmmaking and cinematography was was movies and and specifically, I guess what would be referred to as art house movies. But uh, I mean, I think I've become a little bit more lax with my pretentiousness about films as the years have gone on, maybe it's time away from film school that I can be, I can sort of be like, yeah, I love the Fast and Furious franchise. Like I don't have any issue right. admitting okay. that. <laughs> None at all. I, I genuinely love those movies, but, and would, would love to work on something like that or something like Mission yeah. Impossible. Or, you know, I, I don't know if I really thought about that at the time, uh, especially in, I mean, high school was really the formative time for me, which is when I like watched all of these films for the first time. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movies and Coen Brothers. I mean, I'd always seen a few here and there, but that was the time when I actually sat down and 
understood what cinema was and actually started watching, you know, Vertigo and, and, and Chinatown and just all these great films and, yeah. and, and, and really fell in love with the art form. And so that was always my North stars is that kind of uh, those kind of films. And when I graduated film school, well, that's the thing is at that time, it feels so distant because you're making these short films at film school and, and some of them could be good, but none of them really are really super profound, at least, I mean, I did undergrad, right? You did grad school. So mm -hmm. I'd actually be curious to hear if the films you worked on were any different. The films I tended to work on, and this is again, no shade to anybody, but you know, everybody was, was 20, 21. So you're not bringing a ton of life experience to the films that you're that you're making, and I think um, uh, I worked on some stuff that I'm really I, I was really proud of at the time, and and some stuff that I guess I'm I think I'm still I, I can look back on now and sort of see little nuggets of like oh that's not bad and that's not bad, but uh, but th they definitely weren't at the level and quality of the of the films that I liked, and. Uh, so, so that's been, that feels like a very long term trajectory, especially when I just graduated from school, it feels so distant. And you're like, oh, I, you know, the, the first goal is even just to shoot some indie films. Like even that alone feels like this Herculean task to climb this mountain of like, how do I even shoot anything, a feature of any kind at any budget level and the, the the bigger stuff feels so felt so far off, and I, still does, uh, to be honest. But uh, but after graduating, I did sort of discover the the commercial world, which I had zero yeah. connection to in film school at all. It was like a a bad word that you couldn't say. You couldn't say the the c word in in at NYU. It was all about films and, and short films yeah. and, and auteurs. Tell and, your story, yeah. Yeah, which is, again, I get, and that's great, and that's fine. I think they've, that that has changed in the years since I've been there. There's a little bit more emphasis, on, not emphasis on it, but a little bit more presence of it, I, I suppose. But, because uh, I talk to students there now who are very aware of the commercial world and the short form world in general and Vimeo and what's going on and, and all these things that I, I truly had no clue. I mean, I, I was sort of, lucky, I guess, that I had um, in my class, we weren't in the same year, but we were in the same senior camera class. Um, Stuart Weinkoff, who's this incredible commercial fashion mm -hmm. DP, now photographer too, and his photography is amazing too. And he, he and his brother started doing commercials, even in film school. Uh, and he came in, he actually used one of our class times to shoot a spec because we, we had this uh, random component of this camera class where our professor would just bring in a phantom camera and every week everybody got to sort of shoot something on the phantom. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And most people not knowing what to do with any of this stuff were just like, okay, let's just, I don't know, throw some things at each other in slow motion. Like there was no yeah. plan, but Stuart came in with a, with a script. He's like, I'm going to shoot a spec it's going to be this bow and arrow thing and there's glitter on it and it's flying everywhere. Uh, and, and I was sort of looking at that in awe of 
I would have never even thought of doing something like that at the time. In hindsight, that that was so smart. <laughs> like, I really wish I did yeah, more of that. I wish, same. same. <sighs> yeah, that's my biggest regret, honestly, is not doing, um, or just not even having any awareness of like short form. Yeah. Stuff really, commercials, spec commercials. Yeah, and um, now I feel like people are known for that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it uh, accelerates a lot of people's trajectories, uh, which is, which can, can be great. I mean, there's pitfalls, but, but it, yeah, in hindsight, of course, I don't think it would have affected where I am now. Like I ended up getting here anyway. It maybe just took a, yeah. a few different roundabout ways, but, uh, but narrative has always been sort of like the, the end goal though. I do love commercials and I, I, I think they're super fun and uh, low stakes and uh, bigger budgets. I mean, there's a lot of advantages. I, I understand the cynicism behind it. And I, I also understand the, the moral uh, ambiguity of it, uh, sort of supporting this capitalist system. Like I think about that sometimes. I mean, there's certain brands I wouldn't work for, I suppose. Right. Uh, I'm sure you're the same. There's lines in the sand, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, my my ultimate dream would be to do both, and to shoot uh, like a feature a year or a or a short TV show or something, and then commercials. That's sort of the end goal. Yeah, uh, I think that's one of the coolest aspects too of our. I mean, now we're both there, but it's like being able to balance, right? Like we we'll both do a feature and then we'll have a couple commercials or music videos and things. And like be, being able to like jump from different format to different format is really great in my opinion. Yeah, it is. I, I, I wish, I wish I was doing more of both, I suppose. Um, but I mean, it's extraneous circumstances this year, especially, but uh, I don't know. Do, do, have you ever felt, I've certainly been in situations where I'm, working on a feature and then some great commercial opportunity comes along and I feel really bummed about it um, that I have to pass. Have, have you been in that position? Like, how do you, how, the, I agree, like, I feel the same way. The balance is really great, but do, do you feel also the the pull between the two? How do you kind of navigate in between that? Yeah, um, yes, I feel like, I feel like it's getting better. I think in the beginning it was like, you're so afraid that you're going to get another phone call while you're on something because you do more to put food on the table. You know what I mean? You're trying to like make this a thing and shoot a lot of different things. And now, uh, yeah, I like last year, actually, I had like a whole month of commercials, like in Paris and in different places. Mm. And I was going to make, you know, more than I'd ever made. And it was like, so eye opening that my commercial career was really taking off. And then I got a call for a movie. <laughs> it's like, it took me a moment, but I was like, buy commercials. Like I wanted to do the movie. And I think now it's become, and, and there's aspects of that, of that, that hurt. You know what I mean? That, you know, you're giving something up obviously. And like, you know, you're making decisions between things, but I feel like now my rule is I'm not going to be on something unless I absolutely love it. And I will not regret if someone calls me for something else, I'm not going to feel bad. So I'm only going to take it if like, you know, this is what I want to be doing and try to avoid <laughs> feeling any remorse for like giving something else up or something. Um, 
Yeah. But yeah, that's, this that's year, good. this year is sort of different, obviously, um, than, you know, last year where I was sort of learning to, to balance that more, but, um, but yeah, how's this year been for you? Honestly, uh, terrible. <laughs> yeah. I'm really glad that you got to shoot that movie though and stuff. Thank, and, and you thank, to- thank God. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, that was really, a, uh, that was, a. I don't even know if I would call it a silver lining. That was, that was like a saving grace. That that's what I'm looking for. I think, yeah, this year, this year hit really hard for a lot of people. I I think we've discussed this before. I've talked about this with some other DPs who are sort of in the same place that we are in our careers, which is like on the way Mm -hmm. to, to our goals and, and established at a certain level, but, but still a way to go. Uh, and it, it really felt, especially at the beginning of this year, like the bottom just fell out of like finally feeling last over the last couple of years that I was actually gaining some momentum and then it just disappeared completely and, and hasn't really recovered since even, even since shoots resumed, things have still been really, really slow and, and, and it's okay like there's extraneous circumstances, obviously the industry has not gone back to full or even half capacity as, as to what it was, but I think it hit, yeah, it just hit really hard. I, I, I certainly don't envy DPs who are just starting out and entering into this world, right. but I do think there is still sort of a, a, a you know, it's going to be rough anyway. It's going to be challenging when you're just starting and you're looking for really tiny shoots within your network anyway, that I feel like are things that could still happen. Uh, and then obviously anybody who's already established enough at a level where they, they, I feel like, I guess they don't need to solicit work. Like it just comes to them. Uh, and they're shooting projects that are big enough that they can afford to sit around for six months. And that's sort of normal and okay. Uh, yeah that's that's another category and then we're sort of stuck in the middle here where it was like i do still feel like i have to work to get work and uh having that bottom fall out was really rough but yeah that the feature that i shot in um october uh was really great to have that like I, it's the one reason I don't feel super down about this year is because I had that one project and it was two months and it was a prep and shoot and it was really great to just have something to 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 dive into but but even then I had a couple commercials pop up during that and I I I loved the project that I was working on so I know exactly what you mean in terms of like I like this project enough that I, I don't, I, I don't feel uh, any regrets of turning anything else yeah. down because I'm focusing on this thing now and it's really, and it's good and I like it. Uh, but I, I always do still feel a little tinge of, of uh, just a little pang of having to turn something down uh, only because I guess like I was, like I just said, I still feel like I have to work to get work. So yeah, any you opportunity wanna call, you wanna- to- you want to clone yourself and go do the commercial too. <laughs> exactly. Cause that's, that is also a good opportunity uh, regardless of whether or not it's like some big thing. I feel like any commercial at this point that has good creative and is with a director that I like 
is some is good. And I and I I sometimes do feel this pull of like, uh, I feel like commercials, uh, sort of getting to the place where I want to be in the commercial world, which is shooting bigger projects with bigger budgets and brands and directors and longer shoots and all these other things, uh, and bigger production companies, is sort of a full-time thing. Like I have to dedicate attention to that. But I also want to make movies. I also want to shoot features. And, and it's sort of figuring out how to um, spend the time, like within a year, how much time am I spending on each one and, and making sure I'm not neglecting one or the other. But uh, the features, I mean, the features thing is sort of more of a long game, I suppose. Uh, it's it's always something that's felt out of my control. I, I'm, I'm curious how you feel about it because I I feel like I've gone through like five stages of uh, confusion, grief, acceptance about like how to how to make features, not how to physically make them, but how to build a career doing that. And I yeah. feel like early on I spent a lot of time figuring out trying to figure out how to like get in the right position to to be called for features and then as time went on i've taken more of a hands-off approach and and been like mm, you know the relationships that i build organically are are the ones that over time will result in features maybe hopefully <laughs> i don't know well, how, how, do you, how do you view the whole thing? Like how, I guess, how hands-on with building a features career do you feel like you are or have to be in terms of pursuing um, opportunities and stuff? Yeah, I feel like, I feel as you do, like it is a bit out of my control. I feel like you, yeah, you sort of have to just, I also think there's crossover though. Like directors who are doing mm -hmm. commercials and music videos, a lot of them want to do narrative and do narrative. So it's not, I don't think that like, just cause maybe someone feels like they're just doing commercials, they'll never meet that person who's going to take them onto a feature. Like, I think there's definitely, you know, you know, people with stories that are directing short form. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I'm always talking about how much I love narrative work and I'm always expressing how that's, you know, something that I love. So, you know, I think just making that connection with people and um, finding out who also wants to make, you know, feature length films. And um, I think you and I have shot about the same amount of features. Um, and we both did one during the pandemic. And which you I'm shot gonna... one this, yeah, you shot one earlier this year too. Yeah, yeah, it was right before <sighs> yours, I think. I like, actually, I think we overlapped. I think we had like- Yeah, there was, yeah it was sort of in the same- that... Yeah. Were we shooting at the same time? I I didn't think about that. I can't remember if I was in prep when you were shooting oh, yours or, or if, if I was already shooting. I, I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, it's like oh. I wrapped and you started, but um, Fun. yeah. And I think, I think uh, you know, I, at the beginning it was so many shorts and I knew, I think that helped too, just like knowing directors who were doing short form and that wanted to either have feature versions of what they were making or that was their goal as well. But yeah, it's just one of the many aspects that are, that sort of feels out of my control for sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of a type A person. So letting go of control, it, it takes time <laughs> for me, but, but you really have to, I think, in order to pursue that, the features career. 
so much of it is out of your control and you, that, that that's where I've come f fully around to the acceptance stage of uh, of just understanding that that's how it is and, and that's okay uh, and and we're still uh, young compared to I think the, the people that you and I look up to in the features world that, that has that takes years and it takes time to, to sort of build up to that place uh, to, to, to get to the, the place where you're shooting at the level that you want to, I suppose. But well, actually, I, I am curious, like what dream world, you know, five, 10 years from now, uh, I don't want to put a specific timeline on it, but what do you want to shoot? Like what, what kind of stuff, or I guess going back to uh, high school and film school and stuff, what kind of films inspired you and, and, and were the type of movies that you pointed to and uh, told yourself that's the kind of stuff I want to make? Yeah, um, I think in the very beginning, it was like Jurassic Park and cool stuff like that, where it was like, how do they do this? I don't <laughs> understand. You know, I want to be on set with dinosaurs. Yes. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, and then- Same, and still then, to this day. Yeah, still, I wouldn't, I'd be okay with that. Um, <laughs> but I think that, I think I had a realization in um, when I was starting to study film and that was, I saw Blue Valentine, which is like, probably my favorite movie and it's so uh simple but just realizing that I really wanted to do stuff that delved into characters and like relationships mm -hmm. and like you know people I think was you know something that I realized so I think it started out with sort of the more fantastical like stories that were you know huge and you know supernatural and things like that but then it became more of um and maybe part of me didn't even really know like what I wanted. Cause again, I didn't know commercial world. I didn't know all these things that you could do, you know, in your career that was still being a DP. Um, but I think it became more of like, okay, I'm really drawn to these sort of dramatic uh, character pieces and sort of pursuing those. Cause even in the genre work that I've done, it's like, it's still really rooted in relationships, you know, brother, sister, husband wife and like different things like that I think are really interesting and and in my dream world I think television is something that I'm very serious about because you get to dive into those things and you do it for longer you know as opposed to a feature and um so yeah I think it's similar it's doing a, a movie a year or a show I really want to shoot a season of a show and mm -hmm. but still have all these commercials and uh you know even music videos I feel so high after a music video because they're just yeah. like, it's so fun. Like I just, it, you get to play and um, I don't know. It's just, yeah. So having a, a balance and I think bigger, bigger things, bigger budgets, bigger features in television for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's such good stuff on TV now. It's, it's, I don't even see a distinction anymore. Like I'm yeah. sure most people feel the same way, but. Yeah. But that's, what's exciting to me is like now the level of, you know, sort of uh, experience and technique and all these things and like the visual design of, of TV is at such a level now. And, and I think that that challenge is really exciting. So. Yeah, and you have all these mini series, which feels feels like something that's been really surging in the past couple of years where, where one director will come in and sort of direct six episodes or seven episodes of it, essentially just a long feature that then gets cut up into um, into parts. But when you watch it, experience it, and assumedly make it, it feels 
the same. It's just part of the same world, just a higher page count, I suppose. But yes. yeah, that stuff is so awesome. There's some, there's so many beautiful looking things on TV that I, I, I'm constantly sort of grabbing screen caps from for my reference uh, library. Um, the Outsider and Queen's Gambit and Euphoria, obviously, all these amazing, amazing shows. Yeah. yeah so one day, still, still figuring out how to crack into that one. But <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Uh, what, how was shooting during the pandemic? What was, what, what, what was the experience like It was for you? Good. Cause it was different. My circumstances were different because you were yeah. shooting in LA, right? Yeah. Um, shooting in general during the pandemic has been okay. I think you and I both done our zoom shoots where we're sitting at our computer for 12 hours. <laughs> We've done yeah. those, uh, the remote ones. Um, I, did, I only did one of those. It was weird. But... I, I think I only did one too, but it was the first okay. one during the pandemic. And I was like, this is the longest day on set I've ever had. And I don't <laughs> like it. And I'm yeah. not even on set. <laughs> no, I'm at home and it feels, yeah, but it was, it was surreal. Yeah, it was yeah. surreal. <laughs> Cause I think you and I are both very hands-on and we're very like, oh, yeah you know, proactive on set and very involved in like running the show, you know, with our AD and our director. So it's like sort of sitting there with everybody on the call is like, you can't have those separate channels of communication and it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, the feature was good. I mean, the feature was, you know, a SAG feature and it was the first, you know, everything else had been commercial music video and it's still, you know, we had all the regulations, but when SAG was involved, it's obviously, it's a new ball game uh, and, you know, approvals and things like that took longer. And we did the zones and everything. And I think the very first day I was like, you know, they staggered call times. And I was like, I just want to go, like, let me, <laughs> let me sign in and go. <laughs> but I had to stand there until I could check in or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was good. We got, you get into the rhythm and you, you know, you guys, the protocol and everything becomes, you know, zone, you know, it's a red zone. And so it didn't really slow us down. It felt very like we were, working at the speed we usually work with all the precautions and you get into a groove and um, it felt safe. And I think, you know, I keep, a thing I keep saying is like, I really do think we are proving we can do this safely. And, you know, so it was a good experience. How about you? That's great. Well, mine was different because we were um, shooting, we're we were in Canada and we were shooting, we were in uh, uh, four hours North of Toronto in, in a small town. So, we, we did a bubble, like an N NBA style bubble where the cast and crew were all at the hotel. Nobody else is at the hotel. Our, we had no contact with the outside world except for a runner that would, that would get stuff and then drop it off in the, in the sliding doors at the front of the hotel, sanitize and leave. And we, we, yeah, I mean, it was surreal in its own way because we were sort of trapped in this shining hotel and then only going to set and coming back and uh, that was just our existence for two months. But it was very safe as a result. I mean, we, even with the bubble, we still uh, tested every week and, and everyone wore, wore masks and PPE and we didn't have any, um, any positives at any point. So it worked, uh, but it was, yeah. it was definitely unique and easy enough for myself and, and the director and some of the other people because we're young, I guess uh, not, not necessarily single, but family. No, we don't have families with us. I think it was a little rougher for some of the local crew 
who came up from Toronto and were leaving behind families and stuff like that. It's definitely not long-term sustainable, but for the short term, the, the bubble was, was definitely super safe. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's challenging. And I know it was expensive for production too. So I, I feel for that. Yeah, that's the thing too. And now it's a line item and it becomes, you know, we're having to bump up the budget to whatever degree it is based on people and stuff. So. Exactly. And we're already working up on the edge of budgets, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's tough. They either have to add more or things get sacrificed. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, bigger budgets is definitely a long-term goal for me, for sure. For sure. Like I, I uh, understand, I, I love independent films and and lower budget films i think there's like amazing stuff to be made in that world and if the script is amazing then it doesn't matter what the budget is as long as it's matched well to the script but long term i'd love to work on bigger budget stuff for like bigger films and stuff like that i don't have any romanticism for staying in a in a small small budget world as as much as maybe some other people do but i don't know do you feel that way too? Or do you, are you like, yeah, give me, give me a hundred million dollar movie. I'm, I'm down. Yeah. I definitely feel ready and capable and eager <laughs> to yeah. do the, the bigger, the bigger things. Like, yeah, if you give me that today, I will totally execute and deliver. But, um, but yeah, I feel the same way. I love the spirit of independent film and um, the intimacy of it. And, you know, I think there's something to be said for smaller crews sometimes and, you know, efficiency in that degree uh, yeah. but yeah, I definitely, you know, I think you and I both strive for just a, a bit more to, to let us sort of play and, and execute things in, um, you know, with bigger scope maybe in, in that storytelling. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And just being able to execute, like, I always just feel really bad when I'm in a scenario where I, I, I sort of have to tell somebody like we can't we can't execute this thing we, we just don't we we're unable to get the resources that we need to do that specific thing so there's two choices right we can come up with a creative compromise which i feel like is most of the job and and that's part of the fun part coming up with creative solutions to things and finding lower budget ways to do things right but there is still an initial heartbreak when you have to when you come across an idea or a concept or a proposal and you're just like, well, we're not going to get the 50 foot technocrane. So we're going to have to come up with a different, a different way to do this. And um, I don't know. Do you, does, how do you, I want to ask you something. Does creativity, yeah, ask, ask me. does creativity thrive more when you're limited or is there more creativity when you have more money and tools? Are you more creative then? Or are you more creative when it's here, the, three lights and the, or two lights and here's the, <laughs> you know what I mean? I think limitations are good when they are part of a plan and ahead of time. So if you sit out to make a project and you say, okay, well, we have limited resources. What can we make within these resources? I think that that, that can be a very, and is a very creative and creatively stimulating scenario. And I feel like all of the lower budget projects that I've done that have been successful and, and been good were created within that framework. Uh, but on the flip side, I mean, on, on the feature that, that I shot, the feature that I shot was very ambitious and um, 
complex and technical and fun, but there, but there were a lot of compromises that had to be made along the way for budget reasons. And, uh, and they were heartbreaking. I, we, I felt like our creativity was being limited by, um, by the resources that we had access to. There were certain things that we were able to find creative solutions that worked. And there were certain things that we just had to give up on and it wasn't even finding a solution for it. It was just, we just had to lose it. Uh, and that, that always feels really, really bad. I, 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 Cause I hate being the person who's, who's the, the, the realist uh, whenever, you know, I want to be the dreamer along with the director, but sometimes, but we, we sort of the DPs that is straddle have to straddle that, uh, that line where when we're hanging out with the director, we're the dreamers, but when, when we're hanging out with the line producers, we have to be the realists. And then we end up being the, the conduit between the two sometimes often. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So I think it's sort of both like when it's, when it's planned, it's good. I love setting creative limitations. Like, oh, we only have certain focal lengths uh, of lenses that we have to stick to, or we create a visual language. The, the feature that I did before this one actually was like, there was very low budget, but like very low. But we set out with that in mind and we were like, okay, we can't afford almost anything on this, but we have this amazing location that looks great with natural light. Okay, so we only need a tiny handful of lights, we had we had four, four units for the whole movie. I had a gaffer and a key grip. Um, I had a first AC and a second AC. We had a full camera package, but we did not have any peripheral uh, tools to move the camera. So when we sat down and shot listed, we already had those limitations. We have a handheld, uh, we, we have a slider, we have sticks and we have handheld, that's it all of our visual language has to work within that framework. And we're lighting, it was a period piece, which lends itself to this approach, but we, our, our, our lighting was very naturalistic. So in the daytime, it's windows, at night, it's candles, and that's what we have. And it was great. That was all the film needed. But we were able to be creative within the framework of those limitations because they were planned around the budget and not the other way around. And I think that that's sort of the key distinction that I've, that I've found and bumped into sometimes. Yeah, for sure. And I think the feature that I was finishing as you were starting was very well married to its budget and it was mm -hmm. aware of itself and, you know, wasn't trying to be something that was crazy technical or anything. And I think that's something great about just DP relationships, you know, with you and I, like we can sort of talk about that and, and our expectations and like how to sort of lean into the budgets, like, you know, you and I were sort of going back and forth in terms of like, you know, the things we were running into on our sets individually. And um, you, you know, you know, you reminded me to sort of lean into that minimalistic approach, which I love anyway. So that was like, you know, I think that's really great when it comes to just like being able to, to talk about these things together and sort of help each other navigate them. Yeah, it's the best. <laughs> I, I have a question for both of you and I want to start with you, Julia, but now, now that we're talking about features and both of you having a few under your belt, um, you know, when you sit down to read a script, what, what are you most drawn to? Like, what is it on the page that really helps you decide that you want to tell this story? I would say it's what's not on the page. Mm -hmm. 
what's really going on here and understanding that I think um yeah I think it's uh I think you can tell too pretty quickly <laughs> like there's many scripts I haven't finished because I just didn't connect to them and I'm not going to sit there and try to force myself to get through all you know 90 pages or whatever but um yeah I think it's you know I think something I look forward to is like rooting for the characters and really just sort of uh, getting invested in them as individuals. And again, sort of wanting to know more about what's not written on the page, you know, and what's really going on, I think is something that I, uh, if I can, if I'm intrigued in what that could be, then I think it's something that's, you know, really interesting. And again, going back to the character pieces and relationships, I think that's something that I really love capturing and figuring out the visual language for when you have, you know, an ensemble of people around a hero or whatever, and you're trying to, you know, photograph those different dynamics, I think is something that's, that I'm really drawn to. Mm -hmm. What about you, Arn? Um, yeah, I, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about that over the years. In film school, I, I was, uh, I would read scripts of films that I liked that you can find in all sorts of archives on the internet, sort of trying to understand uh, what makes a good script on the page. How can you identify a good script in, in written form before it's a film? Uh, and that's something I still feel like I run into a lot. Like I'll read a script that sometimes is sort of, I'll get through it. it I have the same threshold as Julia. Like if, if a script is boring or, or not engaging or something like that, and you find yourself distracted even while reading it, that's an easy kind of move into the past pile. But if something does at least get you to the end of it, but you're still sort of left a little sort of like, oh, well, I mean, this could be a good film. Like I see a version of it in my head that's good, but I'm, I don't know for sure. Uh, that's where it can get a little, a little bit more ambiguous. And I think maybe I'm still figuring out how to thread that needle. But I, so I think that for me, what ends up clinching it is, this may sound a little cynical, but uh, it, can I do something sort of interesting visually with it? And I think that that is, that is a, a big factor for me, not from a selfish place, but from a place of like, I want to be able to use the language of visual cinema in order to tell this story. Does this script, this director, this producer, like this whole combination on this project, are they interested in that? Or, or, or is that something that is, does this story lend itself to that kind of visual exploration? Is this director curious and interested in crafting imagery that can further the story and tell the story in a visually aesthetically interesting way? And I think that that ends up being a big deciding factor for me, just because there's certain imagery that I'm interested in, and then there's imagery that I'm less interested in. And I know Julia feels the same way about this, I think. Like there's just, we're aesthetically attracted to the things that interest us uh, in terms of camera, placement, lighting, shadow, all of these things. And it's sort of like, can I create that within this world? If yes, then this is something that, that I'm interested in. And if this is a script that is, I don't know, it doesn't lend itself to that kind of visual exploration and is sort of uh, iffy, I guess, then that's that's an easy pass. But um, I you guess know, I good, 
a good test that I found is I read one on a plane and it distracted me from turbulence and I forgot I was on a plane and I was like, I should interview for this movie. There you go. That that's that's the that initial yeah, <laughs> that's the initial filter, right? Like does this does this script grab me enough that I get to the end of it without noticing that I've just read the whole thing mm-hmm. in four in forty five minutes. That's yeah. the that's the goal. That's the dream to read stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, more. yeah. <laughs> um, Julia, earlier in the conversation, you guys were talking about film school, and you know, Orin asked if you feel like you'd be where you are if you hadn't gone to film school. And you know, it's hard to tell, obviously, but at the end of the day, it's the connections that you make in film school that are so important. Um, but my question to you is, what advice would both of you? So I'll start with you, Julia. But what advice would you give? high schoolers who are interested in applying to film school, or in your case, you went to grad school, but you know, how do you make yourself stand out when you're applying to these programs? Oh, when you're applying. Um, I think, you know, if you really want it, you will, I, I think sort of trying to find a way to capture how much it means to you. I know that when you apply to school, um, and I went to undergrad for production also. So I've mm-hmm. been like in a lot of, and I, I justified to CLA to like, see if I could get in because it was cinematography specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, grad school is a whole different conversation. It's like AFI or any of those things. Um, but I feel like really cap, you know, when you apply, you usually write like a statement of purpose or something of like, this is why I'm qualified. And I think, really honing in on, on what you love about it and why you want that. And um, it's something that's really important to get across. And, you know, if you have photographs or any visual portfolio, I think really, um, you know, it's, you know, showing those and, and talking about who you are and, and where you come from. Cause I think also that stuff makes us who we are as artists. So I think it's like, if you are good at telling your story and good at expressing why you, you know, want to pursue this, this thing, um, it's a no brainer. Mm-hmm. That didn't make any sense, but Warren, what do no, you think? It did. No, it absolutely it, did. It made perfect sense. I mean, NYU undergrad, uh, this is probably the case with most undergrads. Uh, you don't, doesn't require film experience. So right. uh, the application, people can send in uh, short films, but they can also send in photographs or short stories or pretty much anything creative that they've that they've done. Grad school didn't uh, require that either. It was like really from all life. Yep. Even the cinematography concentration. Yep. Well, Very interesting. So they they really taught you from they're starting from baseline. Yeah, that's yeah I mean I think I think it was a visual portfolio. Mm. Sure. Right, like right, headshot right. some stuff maybe, but like directors were like lawyers and all kinds of things. So I think it's like uh, your story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess grad NYU grad school for the, the overall program is the same. Most people there were like yeah. um, former bankers or, or physicists or also everyone had a different background is, is yeah. grad school is fascinating, but uh, yeah, for undergrad. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's everything you said is spot on. It's, it's like demonstrating intellectual um, and creative curiosity. I think that's the main thing. And, just showing that in in your statement or whatever you need to hand in these days. Um, and th- the question behind the question uh, was that, at least for me, I-, I feel like the reason I needed film school uh, was because I, I uh, really thrived in that structure of uh, 
being able to make mistakes and, and learn along the way and shoot all these student films without uh, stakes or consequences. Like that was really important and formative for me at, at that time, because I'm not a particularly, or especially at the time, maybe I've become more, more as time has gone on, but I was not a particularly uh, social or gregarious person. And I always sort of envy and am and, and awed by people who are able to sort of break into the industry without going to film school and without having that structure. Like the people who just have the gumption uh, and the sort of interpersonal skills and the ambition to find their own way is really uh, inspiring to me and, and amazing. Ultimately, I think that that's like the one piece of advice that I would give to like someone who is sort of at that crossroads deciding whether or not they need it is it's like, if you thrive with the structure, film school has a ton of advantages in that regard. And, and obviously also you end up meeting, it just gives you that structure also to meet people and meet your future collaborators and forge these friendships and relationships and collaborations that are really important. Uh, but there's plenty of people who have forged their own way without it. And I'm impressed by that. And I don't think I could have without, without the structure. Mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. that's just me. <laughs> um, earlier, you were both talking about this year and how it's been for both of you. And, you know, it's safe to say that this year has been really tough, um, especially, I mean, in the film industry where you're just jumping around from project to project and suddenly you're like, oh my God, it's been three years and I haven't had a vacation. Um, but I'm curious, you know, with so much downtime this, this year specifically, or just in downtime in general, um, Oren, I'll start with you, but how do you, how do you stay creative? How do you feel like you're still flexing those muscles? Uh, I'll be honest for a long time. It didn't, I, I felt like I wasn't, uh, it, especially in the first lockdown, uh, in March when everything just shut down, there's just no work and there was no work on the horizon. Everyone uh, just closed everything and we're like, we'll see, we'll see what happens in June. Uh, th those, those few months were really surreal. I, I sort of, I don't know. I mean, Julie and I spoke, I would talk to other people on the phone. I would go on little walks, play video games. Uh, I didn't touch my camera, like my personal stills camera in months during that period. Like I, it was just collecting dust. I, it was very weird. I, I guess the one outlet of creativity that I tapped into that wasn't generating creativity, but uh, absorbing creativity was obviously just able to watch a lot more uh, movies and TV shows, which I've still been doing as uh, relative lack of work has, has been my, uh, my life for the past couple of weeks. Uh, so I just watch a ton of stuff and there's so much good um, content out there and being able to go back and watch classic movies uh, on Criterion Channel or even this seem, this is so random, but uh, Peacock, the streaming uh, network has a ton of classic films on it. And HBO Max has a ton of classic films on it. Peacock is free. It's like no excuse why people shouldn't fire it up and watch Casablanca. Uh, so we have all this access, all this great material on television. 
specifically just on, on Netflix and, and FX and all these other channels. So that's been the one thing that I've sort of clung to even more than in previous years. Uh, and something that I've always been surprised at how few people do. Like um, I, I, I share my, my sort of viewing list every month of, of movies that I've watched. And sometimes I'll get replies where people are like, well, I don't know, I'm so impressed uh, uh, that you have the time. I haven't watched a movie in three months. And um, I'm just like, how do you, this is from filmmakers. And I'm just like, I don't know how you thrive in this industry and feed yourself creatively without watching movies all the time or TV shows, I don't know. So that's always been important to me. I was always struck by that even in film school, like the people who would sleep in the back of the room while we were watching, uh, you know, uh, Metropolis or whatever, because it's a boring black and white movie. And I was always like, why are you here? <laughs> why did you go to film school if you're not interested in film? But uh, anyway, I'm digressing, but that, that was the main outlet uh, was uh, consuming, mm -hmm. soaking up. The Artist's Way, which is a great book that I recommend to everybody, especially in these times. I think Julie, we've talked about it. Um, yeah. She uh, um, talks about creativity as, as a well that you have to refill. Mm -hmm. And I think that the if there is a silver lining in this t t terrible time tragedy, this isn't to diminish the, the tragedy of loss and everything, but to take away a, a personal silver lining for us in the industry, is this has been really crucial time for people to refill their well. And I think like you were saying, Maria, you know, some people have been working three years without vacation or um, however long some workaholics in this industry just go, go, go. Uh, I actually, I think, I think this time is really valuable for that. Uh, and I hope, I hope people, I guess, take advantage of it while we can. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and, and also as an outlet to uh, not wallow in the the sort of sadder, um, more depressing aspects of, of this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Julia, what about you? What what kind of projects do you immerse yourself into between projects? I don't really do anything but cinematography. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need more hobbies. <laughs> but uh, yeah, same. Yeah. Well, I picked up cooking. That's been great. <laughs> I did cook a little bit, which is a yeah. shocker for me. So that was good. You got a you got a pet, and you got uh... yeah. We got a quarantine puppy. That was a good project. <laughs> which which ultimately, I was gonna say, I feel like you know, and we Orin and I hiked with him and everything, and like going on these hikes and like just observing life in general, mm -hmm. not on set, helps you be more creative, you know, and having friendships and talking and listening, and I think that is part of staying creative. Um, but yeah, I, I've been watching a lot more and soaking in as much, you know, and Orin and I will text all the time about shows and things like that. So I've just <laughs> been trying to, to watch a lot of things. Um, I haven't touched my, st I have many stills cameras and I have not touched them. I don't know why. I don't like going out and making a project for myself stills wise, because then I feel like I'm not really observing the world. Um, I've done a couple commercials where I've traveled the last few months and I would go ahead of time and like go explore just on my own, so like botanical gardens or like different towns or like, I would just try to sort of go and see different places. Cause again, we've been stuck mm. in our homes. So when I had an opportunity to go out or, you know, I drive up the coast a lot or I just try to be in different environments too and like observe life. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. about it, I would say. 
Um, that is really good. One last question I have for both of you involves social media and Oren, you touched, touched on the fact that you'll release, you know, like your watched films every month, which I love. I always check out what you've been <laughs> looking at. Um, but I'm curious, I mean, you both have a pretty big presence on social media. And as DPs, how have you used it, you know, either as a calling card or for your advantage? Um, or in why don't you start? Sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's basically, I see it as a uh, sort of live updating version of, of my website, essentially. Like you can go, you can see my work sort of in a vacuum. If you go to my Vimeo or my website or, or whatever, the agency website, like there are uh, multiple versions of my portfolio that exist out there for anybody who, who wants to see it or check past work or something like that. But because of the uh, perpetual nature of social media, it, the, the feed, it is sort of an, an updating, a, a constantly updating version of that where, and more than that, it's also um, a window into, into me uh, because I think, especially nowadays, like all DP work is good. I mean, I think any, everybody at a certain level can make good, good images, especially with the tools that we have uh, access to nowadays. So I've always felt that what separates DPs from each other, in addition to their unique perspective and, and aesthetic taste and all of that, is also just who they are as a person. I think that's that's something really important to me when when working with uh, directors or, or producers or production companies or whoever it is is uh, and the crew that I hire is hiring good people. I, I always want to be surrounded by um, yeah, just people that I would I would like to hang out with, not on set, and that's sort of always the ideal. And I think creates the best working environments because it doesn't feel you don't feel like you're ever bumping up in, into workplace issues personality-wise, uh, which is important for, for 12 hour days uh, mm -hmm. on end. So I think that, yeah, social media is a great way for people to sort of do both. I can share my new work, I can share my old work, uh, I can share the things that I'm interested in, I can share my photography, um, which is a, a hobby obviously, and also like Julia, something I haven't been doing much of lately, I've been taking more pictures on my phone than anything, uh, even just while walking around like my neighborhood or whatever. Uh, but also a window into myself and, and my my hobbies and interests and personality, I, I suppose. Like I don't really hide anything, I guess. I, I don't have a personal Instagram account. Like I sort of use my Instagram for both, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> and, and, I, and I encourage more people to do that. Like I think there's a lot of pages out there that are just work, work, work. And then I look at them and I'm like, but who are you? Who are you? Who is this person? That's what, that's what I would look for if I were looking to hire somebody. So I'm hoping that other people feel the same way when they're looking to hire me. <laughs> no, it is interesting you say that because that is something that I, I love about your page is that it's not only beautiful in the imagery that you're sharing, but it's a human behind it, you know, and so many <laughs> DPs that I follow on Instagram are just like, I don't know one single thing about them or like what they're about. But with you, I feel like I genuinely 
you know, get a glimpse into your thinking about life, which again is really important when you're looking um, to hiring someone is, can I like this person? Do I like who they are as a human? I would hope um, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what about you, Julia? Yeah, I think just echoing what Warren said, I think someone asked me recently uh, who's starting out, they were like, do I just post screen grabs or do I, can I like post, I'm at the beach and things. And I was like, you should do both because, you know, it, it is welcoming and humanizing and, you know, you, you personify this work that, you know, that you're posting and it's like, I want to know who's behind that. And I think that that ultimately invites people and that's what we connect on. We connect on work, but it's like, we really connect on like who we are and what we believe in and what we want to say. So I think, uh, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with what Oren said is just sort of, I try to balance both. I should probably do more. I should probably, I feel like I should post more human experiences. Um, I'm not as, I don't have the Instagram energy or, uh, amazingness that Oren has like I'm, I'm always impressed by his um just social media presence and you know the amazing things that he is able to he just keeps up with a lot of things and mm -hmm. um I, I'm not as good at posting but I feel like yeah it's an extension of our portfolios and it's another you know you get jobs from Instagram that's a it's a thing so just being able to and also Oren and I've talked about consistency you know, you want to, you want a bit of consistency on your Instagram as you do your website. And, um, you know, you want it in, in to embody what you, the work that you want to do and, and, you know, have that be an extension of who you are. So I think that's also important. <clears throat> yeah. It's still, it's still curated. Uh, yeah. Certainly the stuff that appears in the feed, I think the stories function is great because of its uh, disappearing nature. And I, I feel like I can be more casual with that, but yeah, I definitely probably spent too much time on it. I don't even spend that much time on it anymore. I just, uh, I don't really have anything else <laughs> going on. So, <laughs> but it has advantages. It's true. I mean, people do hire off of it. Uh, I, I don't love that fact, but it, it is true. So, you know, we have to kind of go where, where people are. You have to meet people where they are. And, and I do really think that because there's so much good work out there, this is the, uh, the way to stand out and to, to make sure people know who you are in addition to the fact that you can make good images because a lot of people can make good images these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanna thank both of you so much for you know, sharing this time with us and sitting down and you know, just talking with one another. Um, before we log off, I want to thank the rest of the team at Film Roundtable, um, Aaron Wilde, Doug Torres, and Matthew Wolf, who, you know, do so much behind the, the curtain. Um, and we also have Dominique McBride, who is our intern, who's fantastic. Um, thank you to everyone listening for your support. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Instagram, um, keep up with us on the website. And that's all we got. We'll see you guys soon. Awesome. Right. Thanks. Thank you.